0: Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. quince.com slash style.
1: Hi, I'm Maeve Marsden, and you're listening to Queer Stories, the podcast for the monthly LGBTQIA storytelling night I run at Giant Dwarf in Redfern, with support from the City of Sydney. This week, refugee advocate Tina Dixon... Hi. I'm going to start by showing you a photo. Don't judge me. I was too young then. So this is 2008. It's an hour before I will tell my partner Renee that I have some feelings to her. And she was my first and is the only one woman I've ever been in love with. And it took me six months to reveal my feelings, but I'll be like this, these are my feelings, do whatever you want, don't tell anyone, because I thought it was straight at that time. And then in three months, we'll be living together. (laughs) She still says that I actually forcibly made her to marry me. But, well, it's happy, right? Um, I hope so. This is 2009. Um, It's our wedding day. And this is 2012, when Australia granted protection to us. I was thinking for a very long time what story to tell you tonight, and I wanted to be funny and easy and witty and, you know, just this, like, very romantic story of a person, you know, who, despite the traumatic past, is easily overcoming all the hurdles um, on the journey to become an Australian. But then I thought that not all stories should be happy, and that's okay, because one can find empowerment in trauma, too, and not all stories should be about the unconditional gratefulness to your new home, because you can be critical of it, too. So today I'd like to tell you a queer story of a person from a refugee background, in other words, a story of silencing and invisibility, a story about me. As someone from a refugee background, you very quickly learn the cost of protection. So firstly, when you disclose your refugee status, you expect it to constantly justify your right to be in Australia, and also you expect it to constantly justify your legitimacy as a refugee. The last entails performing a particular refugee identity, in other words, it's a victim that is simultaneously stealing all your jobs and his own welfare, but also that you are willing to retell your story on every single occasion. Secondly, you are expected to be a refugee and no one else. It all starts with this question, where are you from? When is most definitely ask when people hear your accent. And in my case, I'm white, and um, suddenly so in Australia, I really realized the privilege of being white, unfortunately. But it vanishes as soon as you open your mouth. So let's imagine I'm talking to someone, and then they hear my accent, and then you see this like real effort on their face, like their muscles get tense, their eyes stay focused, like lean forward, and at least I know they're listening, right? <laughs> but then this question follows. So where are you from? And it's like, it doesn't matter. If I'm at the work meeting or I'm just catching an Uber, or am I getting some wine in a store? They just ask it. So where are you from, Tina? And I'll be like, oh, I'm from Newtown. They'll be like, no, 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 you didn't understand my question. Where are you from originally? Well, you didn't understand my answer. And, you know, big love to Newtown forever. We're actually in Canberra now, Bush Capital, but, you know, Newtown is just like in our hearts. Anyway, the chain of questions rarely stops there. I'll be always asked when, how, and why I came to Australia and whether I miss my home. Well, my home made everything possible to let me go. No, not like that. My home banished, evicted, and exiled me. I don't miss my home. But for me to be able to say that, I have to disclose that I came here seeking protection. And when I introduce myself, I never say, oh, hey, I'm Tina, I'm a refugee. But a lot of people feel an absolute right to introduce me that way, even when they know a little bit more about me. Other people who were told that I'm a refugee say, oh, for instance, Rhonda was telling me all about you. And then this look full of pity and sympathy, and I know what was told. Definitely not my LinkedIn bio. <laughs> Once having a talk, I said, you know, I don't need your sympathy. I just need you to stand in solidarity with me. And then I see this, like, room of people leaning back on their chairs and taking this very close posture. It was like, she doesn't want our sympathy? What a bad refugee. (laughs) Some people even want me to be heterosexual, to better fit into their imaginary who can be a refugee. So once this humanitarian aid worker in front of my partner said that um, I should add a Smith to my last name, so people would think that I was married to an Australian to increase the chances of getting a better job. Well, my partner and I did change our names, but for safety reasons. Yet, an uncle Names makes magic tested, especially in the job search. However, I'll tell you a little family budget saving secret. It is so much cheaper to just change your name than just to get married. (laughs) And you know, I also need to come back to Sydney from Canberra and save a million for this tiny studio somewhere in like around Liverpool. And giving up an avocado on toast doesn't really help, so whatever it takes. Well, don't hold this against me, I do want marriage equality to happen. I just want another party. <laughs> so when people um, know that I come from FG background, they also expect me to tell my story in as much detail as possible. So I get these questions like, did a lot of violence happen to you because you were gay, or oh, my favourite one? Tell me what exactly happened to you. So sometimes my story is asked in the most unlikely settings. I was recently changing jobs and got called for an interview, a policy role in the ageing area, and the third question I get at in my interview is, tell me about your experience of seeking asylum. I'm also currently writing PhD, and so on one of my first coursework classes, when we were introducing ourselves, I was told, come on, Tina, just tell him that you're a refugee. I never really tell a story, of, uh, my story of seeking asylum because of the costs attached to that storytelling. Firstly, the storytelling never goes beyond the recollection of the past. No one is ever interested in asking, how are you now? Secondly, I don't think that the story of displacement is that very easy topic for a conversation that is so fun to talk about, especially on a birthday party, especially with a stranger. Thirdly, PTSD is real, trauma is real, and re-experiencing it every single time you retell it is real. Lastly, the ask to tell my story makes me remember everything and everyone we left behind. And apart from feeling of pain, the only response that I get to that is overwhelming feeling of shame. Shame for living and shame for surviving. But when I do decide to tell my story though, I talk about the gaps in services. For someone who is queer and from refugee background, there is really nothing tailored for me. I also talk about homophobia from refugee and ethnic communities, and I talk about possible racism from queer community. I talk how queer organisations do not want to talk to people by interpreters and how sometimes trauma counselling services turn people away because sexuality is apparently an issue. I talk about the need to stop parading victimhood and vulnerability and represent people from refugee backgrounds with dignity. I talk how to be a refugee should not override your identity, should not erase who you are or be the only topic to talk about. I also talk about the need to have real leadership opportunities for people from refugee backgrounds and for refugee organizations to stop being led by white people with no experiences of seeking asylum. You know we don't want to Putin or Trump, and I hate mentioning their names today, to be presidents forever, so why not for CEOs and board directors to have expiry dates in their contracts to let others lead? But when I do that, I'm forgotten to be seated in emails. I'm told that particular points of my speech are too confronting. I'm deemed radical and too difficult to deal with. When my story doesn't fit into the pervasive narratives of victimhood and vulnerability, or a single story of a refugee of a particular gender, sexuality, ethnicity, or religion, when my story speaks about human agency, or even when it offers solutions, I get silenced. I get no place to belong. The unintelligible combination of my gender, sexuality and the experience of seeking asylum renders me completely invisible. But it shouldn't be always like that. My voice can be heard, and I need your support in this. Stand with me, but let me speak for myself. Don't call me a refugee. I'm a human full of hopes, dreams, aspirations. He was just forced to search for a new home. And even when home and exile become one, let me belong to this place. Don't ask me where I come from and accept with no judgment that I come from a new town. Let me be me and a part of you. Thank you. Thanks for listening. For tickets to the next Queer Stories, visit giantdwarf.com.au To check out other events I produce and perform in, visit mavemarsden.com. And if you'd like advance or discount tickets to these shows, look me up on crowdfunding platform Patreon.
0: Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag? Say hello to Quince.